0: Grace and peace, and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, my name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury, and I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today. Whether you're you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube, or you're watching later, or however you're interacting with us in these strange times and these strange ways, today is Christ the King Sunday. For for liturgically minded folks, it is our New Year's Eve. It's the End of the church calendar. Next Sunday is Advent. It's the beginning of a new year in the life of the church. Things in the sanctuary will look different next week when you tune in for worship uh, because we've come to the end of the year. And just like with the secular calendar, the, the end of the year is a time for us to reflect on where we've been, but also to think about where we're going. It's a time for us to, to remember, but also to anticipate. But most importantly, it's a time for us to think about our King. Jesus. Christ the King Sunday started in 1925. It's, it's a more recent, in terms of church history, addition to the church calendar. Uh, the Catholic Church in 1925 decided it, would, it was high time for us to dedicate one son of the year to remembering that Jesus Christ is our King. Not all these other you know, lords and important people in our life, that for Christians, Jesus is Lord. He is the one to whom we owe our allegiance. And spoiler warning, it's just about my favorite Sunday The whole year. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about Jesus as King, what it means to think about Jesus as our King. There's a an online bulletin for our service. You can access it through a link in the video description. It will contain our, our scripture reading, hymn, prayers, all that sort of important and pertinent information. So I commend that to you if that is at all helpful. Uh, And I also just generally ask you to continue to pray for Cokesbury Church, for for the church across the world, but in particular our church, as we continue to navigate and think about what it means to be uh, Christ's hands and feet for the world, uh, but also for the people who are closest to us as we begin to enter the season of Advent, uh, for whom uh, many people it's not the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, So with that, I'd like to also offer you uh, this. This is a a brief story, brief reflection. Uh, It has been told to me that many years ago, there was a church in the southwestern part of Virginia that around Holy Week every year, they kind of enacted uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. They had this giant cross that they would put out on their front lawn, and uh, they would have a man hung up in the cross so that cars could drive by and sort of think about and contemplate and reflect on the crucifixion. And for years and years, they always got a young man from the congregation. He was, you know, he was a high schooler, but he was bigger, so he kind of could fit the bill. And eventually he went off to college, and he wasn't able to come home one year. And the church was kind of in dire straits. They didn't know who they were going to be able to put up on the cross, as it were. So they they asked the congregation if anyone would volunteer, and they got no nobody raising their hands. So they decided to vote, and they de- they decided to pick Billy Bob to be Jesus that year. Now Billy Bob was a, a much older gentleman. He was quite heavy set with kind of a, a larger beer belly. Uh, he was bald, and uh, for no reason other than the fact that they all kind of wanted to see him on the cross, uh, Billy Bob got nominated. So. On Good Friday that year, Billy Bob had to put a, kind of what looked like a, an adult diaper on because it had to be kind of like a loincloth, uh, and he had to get hoisted up onto this cross. It seemed like the cross wasn't going to actually be able to bear his weight. And he was so nervous before he had to get up there that he decided to imbibe a, 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 in, in some liquid courage, if you get my drift, before he went up on the cross. So he wasn't up there very long as the cars were driving past before he fell asleep. So just imagine if you can. You and your family are driving by to see Jesus on the cross, and instead you see Billy Bob, who looks like he's wearing a diaper. His belly is going over it, and he's asleep. So someone from the church shouted up, Billy Bob! Billy Bob, wake up! You're supposed to be the king of the Jews! And Billy Bob woke up and he said, Well, I certainly don't feel like it. I love that story because, it's, well, it's funny, and it's kind of something you can easily imagine, but also because... These ideas of kingship that we have, these, these mighty, you know, robes and, and wealth and power, that's not, that's not the king we have in Jesus. Jesus is altogether different, and frankly, it's why he is the one to whom we owe our allegiance. So we're thinking about the kingship of the Lord. Let's continue to worship by just being silent for a few minutes, a few, few moments, I should say. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, help us claim to be Christ for one another, defeating the loneliness in which sin cannot help but clothe us. And so, freed, Make us neighbors for one another. In the pain, in our fear of being out of control, help us discover the ability to need help and then be able to help others. With that, Lord, each of us will now lift up to you our our own joys and concerns, whether silently or aloud in prayer today. and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today for Christ the King Sunday comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick. And you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to, something to drink? And, and when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and we visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, Truly I tell you. Just as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today comes from the United Methodist hymnal. This is, He Lives, He Lives, Christ Jesus Lives Today. So join me over on the drums as we sing and play together. He lives. If you don't know the words, you can find them in the online bulletin. Lift up your voice and sing eternal. the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand, and he will put the goats at his left. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord and King over all of the cosmos. I love... Easter. I love Christmas Eve, but there's just something special about Christ the King Sunday. There's no other day like this one in the liturgical calendar. And for today, Christians at least, this is our New Year's Eve. It's time for champagne and fancy clothes and bad renditions of Auld Lang Syne. It is our once a year opportunity to look backward and forward. We look behind us to the story of Jesus. We followed his moves from the manger to meeting disciples, to ministering with the last least lost little dead, to table turning, to holy week, to the crucifixion, to Easter, to Pentecost, to the Ascension. And then today, as the first Sunday of Advent comes a knock, and we, we look forward on this day to the second coming of the Lord, to his rearrival as the once and future king. In church lingo, we often refer to Jesus as Lord, but we don't live in a world with lords anymore, so to call Christ as such can feel kind of empty-handed. We don't really know what we're saying. And yet, to confess Christ as Lord is to express faith in the one who was, is, and will be the master of all things. But today, when we talk about Jesus, we're more apt to call him you know, a teacher or a healer or a rabbi or a sage or a spiritual guru or even the perfect moral exemplar. And all that stuff is good and fine, but if that's all Jesus was, is, and will be, then he is only one of many, and he isn't really worth our time. What makes Jesus Jesus It's the fact that he is God in the flesh, dead on the cross, raised from the dead, Master of the cosmos. He, to put it rather pointedly today, is our king. Consider this Our king, according to the strange word of the Bible, was born as Jesus in Nazareth in the far reaches of Galilee. He was poor. He had no standing in the world whatsoever, but he went out talking about the kingdom of God. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, befriended the friendless, and it attracted a whole lot of attention and for good reason. And he was speaking to a people who, for centuries, lived through exile and defeat and abandonment and foreign occupation, all while waiting for the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah. So it came to pass that after you know, a brief flirtation with popularity and even controversy, the religious and secular authorities together, church and state, finally got their act together, and they put his little ministry to an end. He was betrayed, beaten. Abandoned to die alone on a cross, and he was buried in the tomb. Now, later, his discredited would-be followers, they started moving from Jerusalem throughout the Mediterranean, and they delivered good news we call the gospel, that this crucified man was Lord and King of the universe, that even after his horrific and degrading death, even after being left for dead behind the rock, he was resurrected and now rules at the right hand of God. He's the king. We pause on that strange proclamation for just a moment because calling Jesus, with everything I just described about him as king, runs counter to just about everything we think we know about power and glory and vindication today. I mean, It's even more confounding that this one, this king, speaks to his followers as he does to us today in the text. I mean, these words from Matthew, they come to us, they're Jesus' final teaching moment before his arrest his execution, and his resurrection. Listen, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, he will gather all nations, all nations, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I mean, think, think about just how strange this is for a moment. Jesus was born to nothing. He didn't graduate at the top of his class. He didn't have a a full ride to Jerusalem University. He had no bank account. He had no job or mortgage or stock portfolio. And this man, who is about to be judged guilty under the guise of law and order, this guy who's about to be crucified on a cross, he tells his followers that he is going to come again at the end of all things to determine the fate of every single human being who has ever lived. Jesus himself is about to go on trial, and he chooses this, his final teachable moment, to tell those within earshot about the great trial, the one in which he will be the judge. Jesus will judge humanity. And it's not just humanity that will be there. You and I are going to be there, too. Now, I know that can sound a little strange, but with talk of divine courtrooms and eternal kings, it all can feel like a little above us. But Jesus comes to us, to live among us, and ultimately to judge us. Which leads us to the parable at hand, the parameters of separating the sheep from the goats. These words here, they're really well-known among well-meaning Christian types. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Just as you did to the least of these, you also did to me. Generally, when we refer to this final teaching from the Lord, we, that is the church, we use it as a way to encourage more do-goodery among people like you. We, we hang it over your heads uh, in order to convince you to serve at soup kitchens and donate gently used items of clothing and at the very least to drop a few extra bills in the offering plate when it comes around. And yet in looking at the parable the response from those who are told they are about to inherit the kingdom, it's remarkable because they're surprised. They're amazed. They are amazed because they didn't even know they had ministered to the hidden Christ among the least of these. That they are vindicated in their goodness is strange considering the fact that they were not even aware they had done anything good at all. Now, on the other side, appropriately, the response of those on the king's left side, they're similarly surprised. They had no idea, they had neglected to do the goodness so described by the Lord. Surprises, apparently, are in store for everyone. If we're ever in the mood to congratulate ourselves, Jesus seems to say, then we are precisely those who have not done what we've been called to do. The moment we think we've done enough to save ourselves is the beginning of our end. On the other side, if we think we can rely on explaining our lack of goodness away for lack of Jesus' identifiable presence, it becomes the end of our beginning. There's there's good reason to be afraid to fear this parable because it's going to leave us scratching our heads rather than comforted in the knowledge of our vindication. We don't know what we don't know who among us can present a laundry list of more good deeds than bad deeds if we take jesus and his word seriously we need only think of adultery to have committed it we need only think a jealous thought to have stolen from our neighbors the end and the beginning of discipleship is as paul puts it the recognition that none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks god all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. To put it bluntly, this is terrifying. But it's also, strangely enough, what makes this parable so good. You know, because for all of its terror, for all of its fright, it's also the last laugh in Jesus' ministry of salvation. It's the giving, it's the bestowal of the kingdom of God on a bunch of dumb sheep who not only didn't know they were doing good things for Jesus, but they also never knew they were even being faithful to him. Now, the language of separation remains, of course, but Jesus tells us the king will separate them one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And lest we forget, Jesus is the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but he also lays down his life for the goats. me think, remember, on the cross, what are Jesus' final words? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Scripture tells us that on the cross, Jesus draws all to himself. It's why all nations will be gathered in the end. Jesus, he came to raise the dead, not to teach the teachable or fix the fixable, What the gospel stresses, what Jesus proclaims, what we have to keep at the forefront of our minds is the fact that Jesus is both Lord of the universe and he identifies with the lowest of humanity. It's precisely the combination of both of those things that make the final teaching ring clear. Because otherwise, it just descends into this Santa Clausian nightmare in which He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus Christ is coming to town. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. The division of the sheep and the goats, it's not based on who is good and who is bad, because if that were the case, then all of us would wind up among the goats. It's based instead on who the shepherd is, who the king is, And what he's been up to this whole time. For from the very foundation of the cosmos, the triune God has been engaged with, involved in the good work of drawing all into the salvific work of the cross and resurrection. The great story of God with God's people, it's one of rectification, not damnation. Damnation. The only thing we have to do, particularly since we don't even know we're doing good things when we're doing good things, is to take Jesus at his word and trust him. Because in the end, our King Jesus, he cares so much for the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead, that he is willing to die for them and people like you, people like me, who deserve not one parcel of his grace. He replaces our unrighteousness with his righteousness. He becomes the judged judge who stands in our place. Our king, counter to every other king in the history of kings, he looks upon our miserable estate and he takes it into himself. He takes all of our sins. He nails them to the cross upon which we hung him and he leaves those sins there forever no one can earn or deserve salvation no one can even know that he or she is saved we can only believe it we can only trust it you know for all of the talk in the church about doing this that and the other for all of our talk about who is in and who is out for all of our talk about what is good and what is bad this final teaching from jesus From the king, it offers a different understanding of the way things were, are, and shall be forevermore. We, even the brightest and the most faithful among us, we don't know what we don't know. We are incapable of doing what we've convinced ourselves we must do. We are, to put it very simply, all of us, sinners in need of grace. But check this out. Even if we can't rest in that trust that Jesus is good to his word, for he is the word, it's all still wildly good news because Jesus is in the raising of the dead business, and he is very, very good at what he does. Jesus, he is the love that refuses to let us go. He is the fatted calf slaughtered on our behalf. He is the divine father who rushes out to meet us in the street before we can even open our mouths to say sorry. And he also happens to be our king. What wildly, wonderfully good news. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, there is no place so large or so small that it escapes your detection. We thank you for creating the space that you have taught us to call church, because you, O Lord, you have gathered us as sheep from the slaughter so that the world might know that slaughter is not our nature, nor is it our destiny. Make us friends with one another, and in that befriending, may we come to know your truth that you are the King. And all God's people say, Amen. Uh, God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word. And now we respond to what God has done and said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, but also the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I strongly encourage you to give to the glory of God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. Uh, you may give by donating online. The The link for doing so is in the video description You can also give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, we have a drop slot by our main office doors, and you can bring your offering to the church. Uh, But give. Give that we might uh, be people who can participate in the kind of ministry that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and befriending the friendless. With that, we also like to respond to what God has said by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So I I encourage you to now join me in affirming your faith with me and all of us. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With that, I would like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection help you to see, know, and believe that you have but one King and his name is Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you next week in the new year for Advent One to hear more about who we are and whose we are and to rejoice. In the arrival of Christ as a baby born in a manger, and to rejoice in the rearrival of the once and the future King Jesus Christ. Amen, Amen, Amen. Be well. Go in peace.